Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Sim Talk. We have with us Amy Greer of Mosum Tech, who I actually have a very odd history with. We have sort of circled each other's careers for the last seven or eight years. Amy, how you doing? Good, Jacob. How are you doing? Uh, it's okay. Broke a Just rib. Okay. Last, I broke a rib last week, so I'm kind of like hobbling around still. Oh uh, yeah, can't take a deep breath. Yeah, I'm finally getting there. So, uh, so Amy, why don't you uh, tell us about yourself? Where you went to school? What do you do now? That okay. kind of general s- stuff. All right. Um, my background. Uh, in education is in industrial engineering, which I think is pretty common for a lot of uh, simulation professionals. Uh, went to Tennessee Tech and then Virginia Tech. Um, spent a little bit of time in manufacturing between my co-op and first job. I was in a manufacturing environment for about a year and a half. Um, I loved simulation in school. Thought it was so fun and so cool. It was definitely one of my favorite classes. Um, my thesis had uh, some simulation components to it in graduate school. Well, what um, were you using for that? Were you using like Arena back? I did. So my undergrad, we used a product called SimNet, which is uh, for, based in like Fortran seventy seven. It is old. <laughs> you know, you know how you know how professors are. They get stuck with their tools and don't want to change. Um, but then in uh, grad school, I kind of just did a self study in Arena, um, and that's what I did my thesis in um, in, in using Arena. Then okay, yeah, and um, just you know had the simulation bug, but thought I would be in manufacturing because I also did you know really enjoy in that environment as well, but um, had a friend, Nate Ivey, who I think you've worked with at FedEx. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my boss for a while. Yep, it's a small world. Uh, <laughs> he he introduced me to um, some people within the simulation industry and uh, moved to Nashville in uh, January of 2004 to work for Automation Associates as a um, full-time simulation consultant. Uh, we did a little bit of everything, healthcare, manufacturing, transportation. Um, that firm was bought out by an architecture and engineering firm in about 2006. Uh, we still had our little simulation group um, for a few more years, but it just wasn't a great fit. Um, so over time, that group just kind of dispersed and went our separate ways. And mm-hmm. that's when I went to the American Red Cross on the biomedical side of the business, um, simulating blood drives, call centers, equipment distribution, manufacturing. Um, that's another one of our another yes, one of I our connections. Backfilled Amy. So when she left the Red Cross, I took her job. Yeah, I apologize I for any poor code commenting. Hopefully, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> I was only there for nine months. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I, I I made it three and a half years until I just I miss consulting well, so much. When I uh, when I got there, there was that entire group, and by the time I left, they had all been let go for budget reasons yeah and my boss was like if you can leave leave so I did and went to FedEx yeah and I think when I started the uh, engineering group I was a part of was probably about 16 people and then oh, wow. by the time I left it was you know I don't know half of that um, and then it continued to to go that direction so um, yeah and and I think what happens a lot with industrial engineers, you're, you're fairly well organized. Uh, so people think, oh, we'll put you in management. And so I kept getting tagged for like general management positions. And I was like, you know, I really just want to stay in analytics. You know, can mm-hmm. we find a, a leadership position that has some analytics flair? Um, unfortunately, we really couldn't. So um, I actually met the guys at Mosum Tech via LinkedIn. So it, LinkedIn, it works. Um, and I remember going up to DC to interview with them and Sarb Parak looked at me and said, you know, this may sound stupid, this may sound naive, but our goal is to build the best simulation modeling clean firm in the world. And I was like, well, sign me up because that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I want to do. Um, so I've been with them for five years and uh, just really having a great time. Great. Uh, so what do you do at Mosum Tech? What, do, what does the company do for those who don't know about it? Yeah, so we are a uh, pure simulation and modeling consulting firm, which is somewhat unusual. Um, there tend to be maybe um, architecture engineering firms that have a simulation department, you know, management uh, consulting firms that have a few people that do simulation. It's fairly rare. Um, 
to have firms that are just simulation and modeling. Um, and, you know, we work in a wide variety of industries, um, healthcare, fast food, uh, manufacturing, distribution. Um, it's, it's kind of cool one day to be uh, learning all the ins and outs of a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and then the next day you're looking at how uh, airplanes are made. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Um, and we do everything from build a model, run the analysis, uh, deliver a report, you know, if it's a greenfield site. Um, and then sometimes we also build tools, um, whether that's a simulation model that sits, sits on the back end of a website or a simulation model that sits on someone's desktop. Um, so sometimes we'll build the models kind of as a software tool and, and leave that behind mm -hmm. for ongoing use. Well, that's cool. Uh, so do you generally tend to fall into a certain software or is it kind of dependent on the industry you go into? Um, we are we are partners of both Simeo and AnyLogic, um, which is also kind of unusual because I think they're probably each other's biggest competitors. Um, so we uh, we use both of those tools pretty extensively. Um, I really enjoy having multiple tools at my disposal because we can, you know, we can look at the project and say, you know, this is a really good fit for this feature or that feature, and we can, you know, advise the client on on what's best. Um, sometimes a client comes to us and says they need the model in, you know, software X or Y, and we have no choice. Uh, sometimes we can really counsel them on on pros and cons. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know we we like both those tools. Um, in the past, I've used Arena and AutoMod, a little bit of Simulate, um, and I, you know I would say every tool has different strengths and weaknesses, and I could see use cases for for all different types of tools out there. Yeah, I mean we tend to have especially uh list the listeners for the podcast it's either like you have these like hardcore simio people and the hardcore analogic people yeah so, i mean someone who uses both quite a bit what do you think are some of the pros and cons of each well um so in my mind i love the the programming aspects of any logic um i'm not a programmer by training. Uh, it's something that I've kind of picked up over the years, but I, I do believe that if you've got really complex systems um, and you want to look at different alternatives for, you know, sophisticated control logic, you're going to want to program. Um, Simio, you can do programming and process logic, but it once you hit a certain level of complexity, it, it becomes a little bit uh, cumbersome. So love the programming aspects of AnyLogic. I love the fact that I can distribute the models to, you know, anybody who has Java on their computer can just run our models. Um, it, it hooks up very well with different front ends, so it makes it uh, pretty easy if we want to put an AnyLogic model on a website. Um, we can do that pretty easily. Um, the flip side of, is, though, with Simio, if you are that kind of industrial engineer that's going to do a model a couple times a year, um, Simio, I think, is much faster to learn. Um, it has the built-in uh, anal analysis capabilities. Uh, so with any logic, you kind of need to be prepared to put your own front end around it, whether it's Excel or use their portal or spend some time, um, you know, with their graphical user interface. You need to be prepared to spend some time uh, kind of putting a wrapper around your, your fundamental logic. But with Simio, um, that wrapper is included. You know, you can open the box, build your model, and bam, go look at the pivot grid, uh, throw up some dashboards really quickly. Um, so I think if you are more the um, industrial engineer that's going to do some modeling as part of your job, uh, Simio has some really nice advantages. Yeah, that's kind of what uh, I do currently. I mean, that's what we have, so that's what I yeah. use. It, I do have the majority of my experience in Simio, but uh, any logic, the, the, being able to slap in Java code is nice. Yeah, and um, you know, I think we, like I said, we see different uses. If someone comes to us and they want to have a, a simulation model, you know, directly embedded in, in another website or something, um, I think that the Java aspects of AnyLogic really enable us to kind of hit the ground running um, on those, those situations. Um, but yeah, when you are a, when you're an internal simulation resource, like I was at the Red Cross and you were and, and you are now, you don't have the luxury 
most of the time of having multiple tools. You know, if you went to your yeah. boss and said, oh, I'd like to, you know, have two or three different tools at my disposal, they'd say, no, no, we need to need to commit to one. Um, you should so, see what I'm having to do just to get enterprise editions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, when I started at the Red Cross, we had Simulate. And, um, you know, it's, it's what I would consider, quite frankly, a, a tier two tool. Um, and if you're doing some fairly simple models, um, once again, kind of that novice programmer, I think it fits the bill. But um, I was getting a lot of requests for advanced stuff. People would say, oh, well, you know, you've got years of simulation consulting experience. Can't you just do X, Y, or Z? And I'd say, well, I can, but it's going to take me forever. <laughs> right. Cool. It's, it's the inverse in, inverse difficulty theorem that like the things that people think are easy are actually the hardest and things yes. are, it's like yes. oh this will take five minutes four days later <laughs> you know yeah. it's finally done kind of thing yeah that's true I, I i i've not heard that phrase before but we definitely uh we chuckle about it quite a bit at most tech you know we'll have people that call us and they're so apologetic and they're oh i'm so sorry i really need you to add this to the model and we say hey no big deal it's five minutes and then yeah the next phone call you get they say oh that that should take you no time and you're like oh man that's gonna take forever <laughs> yeah and i find that uh especially comes out with um once you start getting into human interactions, that's when the, you know, because humans, we can sort, especially like sortation algorithms. Yeah. Like that's easy for us to do as humans. We know we can easily see, you know, box one, box two, box three, put square into box two. That's really hard to do in a computer. And that's yeah. something I've had a, an issue, especially at FedEx, trying to like explain to people like, look, humans innately do this. Computers don't. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we're on a, a project right now where the biggest chunk of our effort is going to be um, interviewing the, the people in the scheduling department to just capture their current nuances because mm -hmm. they've got six people that are doing um, this this scheduling work on a daily basis. They all do it a little bit differently. And, you know, so before we even get to building the model, we've got to talk to all of them. We've got to understand all their different algorithms, but you know, they don't call it algorithms because they just, they just show up to work and that's what they do and they don't think <laughs> about it. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a big part of the simulation modeling is, is getting that human decision-making logic codified and into an algorithm. Yeah, I, I asked the, the question in a few different ways, but something along the lines of, what are the things that you think are trivial about this job? I need to know all of those. Yeah. Because most people, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, you'll be trying to build this process or, out, you know, whatever. And it won't be working. They're like, oh, yeah, you missed this, this, and this. Like, well, you didn't tell me about this, this, and this. So it's like the it's hard to get people to get down to that fundamental bedrock of what they do because they do it so often they don't think about it. Anymore. It's true. And, and, you know, industrial engineers and simulation consultants, we think about things differently. Like we think about, you know, root causes. If, you know, B was caused by A and A was caused by seven and, you know, we, we go through and we think, well, why, why, why? And, um, you know, a lot of people don't. They they just think this is what the system is, and they don't think about the underlying um, interactions. But to build a model well, you've got to get down to that fundamental, you know, fundamental mm -hmm. interactions of the system. So, uh, do you use much of the scheduling features in Simio uh, yet? I haven't yet. Um, I, to be honest, I'm kind of looking for the right problem. Um, it appears that like it would be ideal for kind of the lower volume job shop scheduling uh, problems uh, with their, uh, you know, their reporting capabilities there. So we've not got into that yet. Um, most of the scheduling problems that have come across our desk don't really fit that piece. Um, and we have clients that are really kind of looking more for some global scheduling and optimization and, um, you know, scheduling is a term that's not as universal as you would think it is. We get a lot of people that say, oh, I have a scheduling problem. And um, then we get into it and we start looking around and it's like, no, you have a, you know, logistics packaging problem. Like, um, you know, so uh, we've not, I've not personally um, come across the, the ideal fit yet for the uh, Simeo scheduling portions. 
Okay. Yeah, that's something that I used a long time ago, like right when it came out, and no one's really used it since. Like I, I know some people are starting to use it more, mm-hmm. but it's it's a feature that's ultra powerful that just no one seems to be able to find a place for it yet. The the most interesting uh, application I've seen personally at Mosum Tech was we had a coworker building uh, more like. Um, project scheduling if you think about it like I think people think of scheduling and like I said oh it's good for job shop scheduling we think of manufacturing when we think of simulation but you could look at your project portfolio and we've talked to people about doing it for IT project portfolios because uh, you know they all have desired start times desired end times there's certain risk of projects being late you can't let your programmers go to other um, other areas um, other interesting applications we've seen people talk about using it for is, you know, more in the construction industry. Um, you know, mm. this this piece of the construction project needs to be done by this time or that time. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities to use it besides just the traditional like manufacturing processes. Um, like I said, I just personally haven't had a chance to, to dig into it yet. Right, right. So what are your thoughts on sort of where we are as an industry currently? You know, simulation and people using it, not using it, et cetera. Um, I, I do have to say, I, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going upwards. It's a really fun time to be in this industry. I think big data has brought so much to our group. Um, people just seem more aware of artificial intelligence and big data. Uh, 10 years ago, if I described to people what I did, it was extremely difficult. You know, now when I start saying, oh, you know, we we build digital twins or, you know, we're building a virtual environment of your restaurant, people instantly at least understand what that is or they have some basic concepts of what that is. So I find that um, there's just a lot more general knowledge of what simulation is. Um, And I think, I really do think we have like, you know, big data and artificial intelligence um, to to thank for that. Mm -hmm. Right, that's something I've been kind of thinking about as well. And now I've been seeing some of the larger tech companies hiring for simulation positions, not just, and it's starting to grow into other industries. Like it's getting in the financial industry, I've noticed, and uh, you know, Apple, was hiring flex sim people recently so that's the pro that's the package we haven't really talked about yet in all these episodes of sim talk well and i will say um randy gibson who who owned the first company i worked for automation associates i remember he used to always say you know when someone gets burned on simulation modeling it'll be seven years before the company will try it again and i don't know you know if that was just his experience where it came from but i've definitely found that to be true um you know people come in and say oh we can't use simulation modeling because you know so and so tried that three years ago and it was disastrous um but I do feel like um, for some reason companies are more eager to try it. Um, maybe there's a belief that with the advances in, in big data that they're willing to give it another look if they had problems with it in the past. Um, so I'm, like I said, I'm, I feel like uh, the, the buzz that we're getting around simulation is kind of part of the whole artificial intelligence space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now that and now part of it is we have all this usable data how are we going to use it? You know, I think that's part of what's been pushing more people into more companies into simulation. Yeah. And, and the flip side of it too, is sometimes people say, well, we have all this usable data, but it doesn't answer my questions about a system that doesn't exist yet. Right. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, they get so excited about big data. Um, they start looking at what they have and then they realize you know, I need some, I need data from a system that doesn't exist. And, you know, simulation is the best place to get that. Um, Mm. You know, sometimes I feel like we're just, we're just big data generators. If you want (laughs) to look at, you know, what's going to happen with a future process, um, you can really create that big data that other people can then go use in their, their business intelligence tools. Right. Or, you know, a lot of what I do is this facility doesn't exist is it at least feasible before we start, you know, putting a shovel in the ground? Yes. Yep. Um, there's, and th- those are always interesting projects and sometimes simulation doesn't get enough credit 
because if a model, you know, prevents you from making a really bad decision um, or, you know, it, it helps you tweak a design um, at the end of the day, sometimes I feel like the model doesn't get credit. You know, people want to see, you know, if you have a system that currently exists and you went in and you did a model and you found some room for improvement and you had a before and an after, you can very clearly say, well, here was my cost savings. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think when it's, uh, when it's future projects, uh, I think simulation is so critical. Most important time to simulate is when you have a facility that doesn't exist yet. Um, but, but simulation always doesn't get credit for the good work it does, I think, during that phase. Right, because it's not money it's not money saved on the bottom line. Right. And, and oftentimes, you know, if someone has a greenfield design, we'll look at, um, you know, they'll come to us and they'll say, well, we have four alternatives. And we'll say, okay, well, we think it's alternative three, but you need to tweak it a little bit. And then understandably so, their natural reaction, I think a lot of times is to be like, well, that was our design. Our design was, you know, it was our design anyway. Simulation didn't, simulation didn't design that, which is true. Um, so, like I said, it's uh, it's just hard for simulation to always get the credit I think it deserves in the when you're dealing with the new new spaces. Right. Yeah. Simulation is the hustle player. Like he doesn't really show up on the box score, but <laughs> we're the sixth man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like we don't really show up on the box score, but if we're not there, you probably lose. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm going to have to use that one. Uh, so uh, how is the uh, the consulting world doing right now for consulting? Is it booming, busting? Um, we're, you know, we're booming right now. Like I said, uh, we're, we're just getting a lot of buzz and energy with simulation. Um, so yeah, we've, uh, life's been good. I think you know, in general, the overall economy is doing great. So that's, that's obviously helps us out a lot too. Um, but yeah, I think the consulting world's good. And if you go on, you know, LinkedIn and the job boards, like you've mentioned, um, there's lots of postings out there uh, for simulation. Oh, lots. Well, <laughs> lots all, of quotations. All, it, it is all relative. We are an extremely small industry. So, you know, if you can find a, do a dozen job postings, that's, that's more huge. than in some years past. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we get a few new a month instead of a few new every six or eight weeks. Yep. That's true. That's true. So it, when it comes to simulation, what are some of the things you really love about it? And some of the things you just despise? about being in this field? Um, I think the things I love, I, I love meeting new clients and dealing with new problems. You know, even when I was at the Red Cross, I, I got to see very, a lot of diverse aspects of the business, whether it was call centers or blood processing or testing. Um, and then, you know, obviously as a consultant, you get to see all different industries and clients. Um, and, and the technical side, the I think technically the problems are just interesting. Um, I feel like I get up every day and I get to solve a puzzle. I, I really genuinely feel like I get up every day and I get to play. Um, gosh, I, things I don't like, you know, I, I think anytime you're an engineer, sometimes you can get stuck on a, a, a project that's a dud, you know, it, and the worst, the worst simulation projects are the ones where it's just not a good fit for simulation. You know, I, I'm, I don't advocate for simulating something that can be solved, you know, with basic math. Um, so projects that just aren't a good fit for simulation or um, the stakeholder just really doesn't care, you know. Some VP at corporate has dictated that there must be a simulation model and we've got handed off to, um, you know, a director somewhere who just doesn't want us there. Um, th those are hard, um, but fortunately, it's project-based, so you get through it and you get to your next project <laughs> and things get better. You hope. You hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I believe they will. They will. Yeah, I will always had this, like, I hate the validation phase. I hate it. Like, if I, if I had, like, someone who worked for me, I would just push off every validation phase. Like, right, here you go, here you go, validate it, find the bugs. I'll yeah. come back later. Yeah, it's that's it, it is a tough one. Um, you know, we try to set our validation standards on the front end. Um, so, you know, we try to talk with with the clients right on the front end. You know, what's your expectations for how accurate this model is going to be? How are we going to prove it? Um, 
because I think having that kind of contract on the front end really helps us when the model's done. Um, you know, we say, okay, remember you said you wanted to interview subject matter experts to tell us if this was valid or, you know, remember you said you only cared about 90% accuracy. Um, I think that's really, really helpful to kind of keep moving the validation phase along. Yeah, it's just, oh, yeah, I've had definitely had some rough, rough goes, <laughs> even with that. Like, hey, remember you said all this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it is, yeah. Once people start seeing that model, they always want more, more, more. And that that's not always the right answer. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. no, this is, this is accurate enough to make the right decision. You know, one of the things oftentimes we need to remind people is that, you know, we're evaluating three alternatives. Um or in some cases. So it, we just need to be accurate enough to pick the right one. You know, we don't need to be so accurate that we're predicting that alternative, you know, alternative three is doing 27.24 parts per hour. We just need to be accurate enough to make the right decision so the company can go on and um, do their business and make a lot of money and be happy. Where do you find, like, do you, do you, do you have a sense of where that accuracy level, like where you start hitting diminishing returns, like as you've been building pro building models? You know, it just, it varies so much by, by project. Um, we do, I have one uh, client that I've been working with for 13 years um, and they still have a model that is about 10 years old that they use actively. Um, and when we developed that model, um, it was in the medical device space. Uh, they ran a validation test run and they matched up like 3,000 data points to, I think we were at like the one one hundredth of a second, which is insane. No, but no other models I've seen come close to that. So that was one where, you know, we were looking at like 99% accuracy. And honestly, like they really felt like they needed that uh, to, to correctly model their systems. You know, others, um, I don't know that I, I, I don't know if I can think of anything that would be under 80% um, because once you start getting under that threshold, you really are looking at Excel spreadsheets probably are going to be just as good. Um, so yeah, I, I would say 80% to 99%. That's a really wide range, but it, it depends on the problem, um, depends on the, the client. And, you know, are you, are you trying to piss, pick the best out of three alternatives or are you trying to precisely predict, you know, a number value? Are you trying to precisely predict the, the capacity of a system? Um, so it just, it really depends on the, the problem space. Okay. Uh, what, uh, what kind of problems do you see that a lot of clients bring you that you're like, they really want simulation, but it really doesn't require one. Do you have like a certain type of problem that you see crop up a lot like that where you're just trying to? Um, not necessarily a certain type of problem, but maybe a um, red flags uh, when, when someone says, oh, I've got this Excel spreadsheet, but you know, Excel is just, um, it's just too hard. And I'm an Excel expert, but it's still too hard. And a lot of times we find that that we can go into the Excel and just with some VBA and some conditional formatting and some just, you know, better Excel techniques, um, take their Excel spreadsheet and make it easy for them to use. And at the end of the day, it, that's really what they were looking for. They were looking for something that was easy to use. They weren't looking for, um, oh, we need to model because it's more accurate. Um, I, I hear that a lot. People will think, okay, my Excel modeling's too hard for me to do. I need to simulate. Um, and I, I don't think that's the reason you should simulate. You should simulate because simulation offers greater accuracy, gives you greater, mm -hmm. you know, better answers. Um, if you're just simulating because you find Excel formulas hard, um, <laughs> we can, we can, we can do things to help that. <laughs> uh, do you use any, you know, speaking of Excel, do you use any specific softwares or coding for analysis? Like you were talking about how like Simio has a, a lot of that built in, yeah. Logic doesn't. Is there anything you use in particular to well, I, I actually do love Excel and I do a lot of VBA to customize charts and graphs and give, give people custom drop downs. Um, 
I have a, a couple coworkers that just love Tableau. Um, and then another I tool. Hate uh, Tableau. I'll just yeah. put it out there. I yeah. hate Tableau. Okay. So I don't know. I, I'm always, you know, it's kind of like because I'm so comfortable with the VBA and I've done so many custom charts and graphs over the years, I just grab you know, my old VBA code and throw it on there. So I, I've not had the need to do a lot in Tableau yet. Um, but there's another tool out there. Um, I really want to look into more power pivot. Um, mm. and, and I don't know if you're familiar with that one or I am. Yes. I've, oh, I've you, seen see it. A, you see a little lukewarm on that one too. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. okay. Well, I, I don't like pivot tables. I don't like pivot tables either. Uh, actually, I've gotten in more into like the hard coding side of analysis with Python and R and that okay. kind of stuff. So I've been like doing like making a lot of my reports in Markdown and then injecting custom R code in there to do graphs and oh, all sorts cool. of other fun stuff. Especially because it allows you to do a lot of HTML, so it makes okay. it really easy to share. And uh, there's a couple packages out there that allow for live data. So okay. you can actually like turn on and off um, like uh, data series is while you're presenting. Okay. So like, so yeah, if you have like, you know, a line graph with three lines, you can turn two of them off just to like focus on or zoom in, zoom out, that kind of stuff. So I like the, the activeness of that, of that. Uh, so that's what, that's what I've been doing the last probably like six months for most okay. of my analysis. So I'll just dump it to a CSV and read it and go to town on it. Well, that, that's interesting. I think that that's one of the things we, you know, going back to the tool selection that we like about the AnyLogic is the ability to import uh, external libraries. And um, this doesn't give us the visuals, but I use the Apache math class a lot because I just find that its, descript uh, it's statistics is actually better than what I see in Simio or AnyLogic. So with AnyLogic, it's really easy. I, I don't like their out-of-the-box, some of their out-of-the-box statistics, so I just grab the the library that I want to use and use that one instead. And um, I have a coworker that's talked quite a bit about using some off the shelf um, Java libraries with AnyLogic because of the visualization and um, the fact that you can do so much and just work the library and bring it right in. Do you ever run into like speed issues with AnyLogic being Java based? No, actually um, we've done quite a few uh, speed comparisons and it, I, we think it's about the fastest one out. Uh, AnyLogic is about the fastest out there um, because you can program at a fundamental Java level. And quite frankly, their um, their agents are so light; like they don't they don't have a lot of pre-built you know mm. attributes to them. You know, Simio I think is really focused on trying to be the, the user friendly. Um, you know quick gets get started get modeling and i think their um their objects have a lot more built into them to sure. enable that oh they are very big i mean they all come with you know you can put tables in there i mean they can be as big as you want them to be and andy can be an entire model in and of itself yep. i've i've definitely done that i've i've had smart entities with a few hundred process blocks in them you know yeah. Now the any logic modeling, um, we've done a lot of speed comparisons. We think it's about the fastest out there. Um, I know I have a coworker that's done some models with 200,000 um, entities active at, at a single time. Um, and I've heard there was some healthcare modeling out there that they've got like a million active entities. Mm -hmm. I, I would expect there to be some run speed problems on that one, but, um, <laughs> that is, that is the one, especially if you're using agents, that is like in my head, that's the one clear advantage any logic has is it handles those agent, very large agent based fields so much better than anything else I've seen. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's very light. You can do, I mean, it scales so well. Um, so we can, we can get in there, get things quickly. The, the only time we've seen issues, and this is also, I think, to be expected, is when you're dealing with um, the pedestrians or the road library and the agents are like, you know, constantly having to reason with um, their surroundings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, a pedestrian-based model is a lot slower than, you know, agents that are maybe um, not so aware of their spatial uh, surroundings. Um, yeah. Once you start getting into space, that's when things can get really, really difficult. Yep, yep. Especially because they got to be paying in all the time. And that's still something I haven't seen a good 
a good modeling technique for in anything is like free space movement. Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, AnyLogic has in their pedestrian library, they have the built-in, uh, you can take advantage of their built-in logic uh, for people to, you know, if you're in a big crowd, the way people kind of um, merge and diverge, like they do in their pedestrian library have that built-in, um, but they've, you know, there's a lot of time and effort that went into building the underlying logic to, mm -hmm. to get that, you know, to get that right. Well, I, well, I just been, I meant more from like a speed perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. just so many things that have to be checked all at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I had a coworker once that uh, his first uh, his first AnyLogic model. I was mentoring him, and you know, I said, "Okay, well, you know, just take the take the AnyLogic in three day book." book and let's go through that and I had told him I said oh you're going to be amazed any logic is so fast it's going to be like the fastest tool you've ever seen and of course the first problem he did was a pedestrian model and he's like oh this, this can't be right this you know and I was like oops sorry I, I should have given you a little more direction on your your starter model <laughs> yeah I actually learned I learned any logic off of YouTube actually oh okay there's a professor in Saskatchewan who has a bunch of stuff for healthcare modeling. So I was like, well, that's why I was starting at the Red Cross. I'm like, well, this seems about appropriate. So that's how I learned any logic. It's actually, they're still up there. They're great tutorials. Okay, I'll have, have to check those out. I'll have to look for it. Uh, maybe I'll look forward to seeing a link if I can find them, but they're really good. I just really wish I could remember the guy's name at this point. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm familiar with who you're talking about. I think I had a friend that was... Uh, that uh, was actually one of his students a couple years ago. So I'll have to, I'll have to dig around and, and find those. So uh, sort of looking forward, where do you see the industry going in the next 10 years, either projects or softwares or hardware, or anything like that? Um, well, I don't know. I know where I hope it goes. Okay, um, where do you hope it goes? I, the, the number one thing I, I hope that happens to our simulation industry is that we start just embracing the, the dorks that we are. Um, you know, I think that there's, uh, I, I think about, once again, the big data groups and they like make no apologies. They're like, we're, you know, we're really smart people. We like to solve really hard problems and they make a big difference. Um, I think in the, the past several decades, a lot of the simulation software companies have focused on this. Oh yeah, yeah, it's so easy. Any anyone can do it. Just buy our software. Anyone can do this modeling. And I think that's actually maybe hurt our industry long term because a lot of companies are looking for this you know, magic black box that doesn't exist, and then they get very disappointed and or they don't they don't put the right people on the simulation projects and the projects fail. So I hope that. Um, I hope as an industry, we can start to kind of be proud of what we do and um, kind of elevate the status of the industry from just this, oh, this is something, you know, any undergraduate IE could do to know this is a truly specialized and unique field that, that adds a lot of value to our society. See, I'm one of those people who would argue that a industrial engineering PhD would have a hard time coming out of the gate and doing simulation, even if that's what their schooling is in, because they haven't done it in the real world. Well, isn't it like if you have a PhD, you, you end up like being less and less competent in the real world? Isn't that the <laughs> rule? No. Um, I, I agree with you, but that's not the perception companies have. Right. Um, and in fact, um, I, I think you're 100% right, but you know, we'll talk with companies sometimes about you know, if they want to grow a simulation practice within their company or if they want to do a consulting project and, um, you know, the next day we'll get an email and our contact will say something along the lines of, oh, yeah, we really loved it. We were so excited about simulation modeling. We've decided to hire an intern this summer to do that project. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's you can't really hire an intern. Um with no simulation experience and give them a project that is going to have a multi-million dollar impact on your business and expect that to go well. Right. Um, so I think that's when I say like, I hope our industry starts to, you know, value ourselves and, and I, I hope the client base starts to understand that you can't just grab someone straight out of school and drop them in and expect it to, to work out. Yeah. They need at least, I would say you probably need at least a year with a mentor 
you know, to be able to start running projects on your. I, I agree with that. And I think the mentoring part is, is so key because there are so many, you know, hidden tricks and tips and whether it's software specific or it's just, you know, the importance of a specification, you know, the importance of actually having a goal and an objective in a project, you know. <laughs> But what I find, even with academics, because, uh, you know, I'm not, I mean, I've got two degrees in finance, so I'd have zero academics in simulation, but I find a lot of times it's, it's getting that right mindset in, because you, you've got to think about the world differently when you're trying to simulate. It's more about why things move instead of how things move, at least in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great way to, to describe it. It's, it's that underlying, you know, how does the system work? You know, people, people ask me, like, why aren't you asking questions? Like, because I'm just watching. <laughs> I'll ask questions in a little bit. But, you know, whenever I tour a facility, I'm always in the back, just like taking notes, watching people. And that's, that takes a while to learn how to do. And so in most people, especially in the academic world, they're used to getting just the data dump and model and go. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I often cringe when I'm on a new project um, or in the proposal phase and someone says, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a ton of data. I'm just going to give you all my data and all my value stream maps. And I'm like, no, no, thanks. I don't want to see it yet. <laughs> and they're usually like shocked. But I, I think that, you know, if you, until you understand the system, um, getting all that data is not helpful. And in fact, it might, it might actually hurt the project because now you're looking at the project with okay, I have this data, how can I fit a model to that instead of, you know, stepping back and saying, you know, what really needs to be modeled here? Okay, this is, in an ideal world, this is how I would model the system. Now let's go figure out what data we have or don't have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we have to modify the, the modeling assumptions um, away from the ideal just because of data availability. But um, I'd rather start with the ideal and then look at what data we have than start with the data um, and, and try to model to that. It also really depends on what's going in the facility. You know, if it's new tech, old tech, is it just a design change? Because then you can use the old data, but if it's new tech and a new design, you're kind of hoping. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. A lot of times it's, uh, you know, people say, oh, the data is not available, but especially in a new facility, but that, that's the whole point. We can go into the simulation model and we could say, well, we think it's going to be this, but if we're wrong, you know, how, how wrong can we be? <laughs> um, can we be off by 5% or do we have enough cushion to be wrong by 50%? So actually, here's a good question for you. How do you handle when you have to tell the client bad news? Like if they're all high on like a design or technology and you're just like, sorry, but no, it's not going to work, right? Oh, you know, it, it, it just, it, every client's different. The personalities are different. You know, you get in there, some clients are just fun, joking type people. Other clients are, um, don't take that kind of news well. So I think it's just, it, it, and that's part of the modeling experience. You know, you talked about kind of learning the industry and learning how to do it. That, that's part of what you learn is how to, to build up relationships with people and get to know them um, so that you can give them bad news. Um, the, the number one, probably the number one most important thing is to establish the credibility early. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't, don't shy away from establishing your credibility um, because it's, it's hard enough to get bad news, but it's, if you give bad news and people think you don't know what you're talking about, um, then, you know, you've already lost. Uh, so sort of going back to what we were talking about, where, so what do you hope changes in terms of technology, that kind of stuff when it comes to simulating? Um, that's really hard. I, I really, um, I really like, there's so many things in the, in any logic and Simio that I like right now that weren't around when I started. Um, so it's kind of hard to, to say what, what else needs to be there. Um, you know, the, the 3D is there, uh, Simio's pivot grid is there. Any logic I think has brought people back to a, a focus on object oriented programming, which I think is absolutely like the right way if you're going to do simulation modeling, you need to do it in object oriented. Um, so, and I, you know, Simio is object oriented as well. Um, so right. I think, I think that's important. Um, the, the fact that we can do parallel replications right now, um, you know, when I started, uh, you couldn't do that. Um, you know, I, 
15 years ago when I started, we did have models that, you know, would run overnight or, you know, one replication would run in two hours. Um, that's pretty much unheard of now, unless you program really, really poorly. You can, you can still make that happen. It also <laughs> but depends on the PC you have. It does. It does depend. But, you know, comparing two problems with, you know, I think, similar programmers that you know the speed is so much better now um the the ability to pro to program object oriented um is great um yeah i guess um good question <laughs> yeah see it's, it's an interesting divide because i learned an object oriented program okay so like my first programming language was java so it's like that's programming to me yeah you know so like it's something that I, I noticed, especially in the early, my early days, is all, all these people didn't understand how I was thinking about the model because I was thinking of it as, an, as objects where a lot of people were coming out of scripting or arena or that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a very interesting divide to see people talking about like, oh, you should think of it as this way where I'm just like, you always do. This is how it is, right? Yeah. The um, when I first started using Arena professionally, we actually used Simon. Um, we actually got into the text editors and used Simon because a lot of the people I worked with had computer science backgrounds, and um, they're the ones that really introduced me to the beauty of programming in a text editor instead of on a canvas. And um, they also taught me a lot of tricks to because Simon wasn't object oriented, we had to come up with a lot of ways to trick it, to kind of make it, make it that way with some creative, you know, variable structures and arrays. Um, so when I was first introduced to any logic, um, it was, it was like, wow, this is, this is so great. This is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, uh, a couple of like bits of advice or resources or something maybe for like someone who's coming out of school or in school or thinking about career change. Well, I think that it's, um, you know, like we mentioned, there's very few openings in any, at any given time. You know, if you go out to the job boards and you see a dozen openings for full-time simulation people, that that's pretty big for us. Um, so it's interesting because I think it is a hard industry to get into. Um, but then once you're in there and you have a few years of experience, um, it's 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 a great career path to stay in. Um, you you can always find a job. People are always looking for, you know, well-qualified simulation uh, professionals. Um, I think, you know, the networking, if you have an opportunity to do any summer internships or um, if you're a student and you're thinking about, you know, your undergraduate, if there's senior design or uh, master's thesis, um, getting in there and trying to do a simulation as part of, part of that would be extremely valuable. Do you think that a lot of companies undervalue a simulation person? Because I know I've had a lot of people call me up and they tell me what the job is and I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. They tell me what the pay is and I just like, I no, not even close. Well, like, isn't that like what all engineers say? Like we're just so under, you know, I, I think that's the plight of the engineer. We're just undervalued. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think that goes back to my example of, you know, we've had potential clients that have basically said, oh yeah, this is, this is so awesome. We love it. We want to use simulation. We're going to hire an intern. So um, yeah, I think a lot of companies don't understand um, to be good at simulation modeling, you've got to be a big picture thinker. You've got to be able to program. Um, you know, even in Simio, when you're in process logic, that's a type of programming. You're thinking like a programmer. Uh, so you got, you know, big picture, small details. Uh, you got to be good with data. You got to be able to present. You got to be able to write written reports. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tall order. Um, right. The, <laughs> the, uh, the one man show that is being a simulation person, there are a lot of soft skills that come with being in this industry that a lot of people coming out of school just don't have. Yeah, and I think um, that's where you mentioned the mentoring. Um, it's great to, to give some people exposure, not just mentoring on the technical aspects, but also on the kind of the, the project soft skill aspects too. Or even some like hard skills. Like I'll, like I'll meet some college kids who like don't know how to use Excel. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is like the most basic of the basics. Yep, yep. Like that, that's why like 
advice to anyone going into college? Learn Excel. You mean if I'm going to do this? Nope. Just learn Excel. Well, and you know, I guess you asked about the direction of the tools um, along those lines. I, I hear a lot of people now, uh, we, we use an Excel front end on almost all of our models and our clients love it. They really do. They just open up Excel, change some inputs, hit a run button, get your outputs. Right. Um, but we do, we have started to hear from a lot of people like, well, we don't want to use Excel anymore. You know, we, we want to use something that's, you know, more modern. Um, or, you know, oh, we want to do something that's cloud-based. So I guess that's the thing I'm really interested to see is how as an industry we handle, you know, the cloud-based modeling. Is it the right thing to do? I mean, it, or is it still, at least for the near term, to have, you know, models on your computer with an Excel front end? Um, every problem is going to be different. But I, I think that's a really interesting thing for us to figure out as an industry. Because of how corporate America is, the issue with going into the cloud is going to be they're not going to want to put in the resources to make it fast. That that could be it, and it, you know a lot of the problems we do, it's um, you know we'll we'll build a, you know if if it's kind of for a one-off answer, you know we'll build a model, uh, get your answer, deliver a report. Well, we're not going to we're not going to build an entire website structure around that that model. Um, I know Simeo and AnyLogic are both doing some cloud-based uh, approaches that are supposed to, you know, help make it a little bit easier to do some cloud analysis out of the box. Um, but, you know, if I've got um, one model I can think of that the client uses it on a quarterly basis to help um, assign customers to, to field engineers. Okay, we've got one user that runs this model four times a year. Um, it's great that it's a model for ongoing use, but we're not going to build an entire web-based front-end mm -hmm. wrapper around that. It's still, you know, giving him, here's your model, here's Excel, run with it, is still the right answer for him. Right. I think, I mean, I haven't seen much of the Analogic stuff, but the Simio stuff seems, essentially, you upload the model and the front-end just kind of appears for you. That's at least what they're trying to do. Yeah, and that's that's what I would. That's how I would describe um, any logic as well. And that's the challenge of simulation modeling, whether it's the the front end or you know other aspects of it. Is simulation is inherently a customizable solution. That's why we simulate so we can customize, so we can get a so we can get an answer that is extremely specific to your problem. Um, and that's also why it makes it very hard to do super generic, you know, web front ends is because we, um, we're going to be so specific with every client and every model is going to be a little different. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I guess I've never really thought of just like an entire front end on a website. You know, I was just like, okay, let's throw up some boxes and you can click a button and here's some graphs. Yeah, that's true. I think that's what most of them are, are kind of leaning towards right now. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to cover or should we start wrapping it up? Um, I think that's it, unless you had any mm -hmm. anything else. No, uh, Amy, appreciate uh, you coming on, spending part of your week with us. Uh, listeners, thanks for coming out and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, Jacob. All right. Thank you.